0: This episode of Dungeon Crawler's Radio is brought to you by Geek Girl Realty. Are you looking for that fortress of solitude or a cottage in the woods? Geek Girl Realty can help you out. Check them out at www.geekgirlreality.com. Dungeon Crawlers. Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers where we have author L.E. Modisette Jr., which for those of you that don't know him, he is uh, known for his Saga of the Recluse uh, series, as well as the Imager portfolio, which uh, we're excited to talk about because the final book in that series is out, as well as the re-release of the Saga of the Recluse. Um, So thank you for coming on the show and taking some time out of your day to talk to us.
1: Oh, I'm glad to.
0: Now I know this is really timely because the last book is coming out in the Imager portfolio, and I, this series has been going on for quite some time. Um, uh, remind me how many years it has been. This series ten, has been going ten years. Ten years. So definitely a, a vast expense of time,
1: um, but not you, as much as not as much as the Recluse series, which has been out for believe it or not. 20 almost 28 years,
0: which which is amazing in itself. I mean, that would be really cool to one day be able to say, Hey, my book has been out for 28 years, uh, and, and people are still enjoying it and reading it. Uh, yeah,
1: they definitely are, and uh, I still get new readers.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's that's just amazing, uh, to me in, in itself because I mean, reading is such an awesome. Thing I, I love reading. I love the the journey you go on when reading a book, but it's really fun to go back and reread stuff too. So the fact that you have people that are rereading it and you're getting new readers uh, because people are talking about it is just it says a lot about your writing style as well as uh, just the story itself.
1: Well, I I think so. A lot of readers, frankly, get in touch with me and say my series. Are among the few that they can actually reread and find something new in
0: hmm that's interesting, yeah, that that 's always a good thing, so
1: well, go
0: ahead,
1: I was just going to say that 's something that i 've always tried to put into the books that there's there is a shall we say a top story, and then there's a lot of things underneath it, and a lot of people don't catch what 's underneath it because they 're so interested in the action
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, of course, then again if you're an action junkie and that's really what you like, I'm not so sure you should be reading my books because <laughs> there's more in it than just the action. And every once in a while I get an email or a letter or something from somebody that says, well, this is pretty good, but I wish you'd cut out all the stuff except the action.
2: The, then what's left at that point? I mean, that's cause it's all the subtext. That's the, that's the story that people really want, right?
1: Well, it depends on the reader. There are some readers I've discovered who really want nonstop action, whether it makes sense or not, and there are other readers who like both. My stuff is for the people who like both.
0: Yeah, you know that's it, like uh, what, ordering a steak but not getting the potatoes or something like that. Yeah, I, I, and, and that's nice you you put both in there. You know, it's you know, there's enough action that it's fun, um, but there's enough. I mean, I'm one of those readers that I love finding and discovering new things in the story that I missed the first or second run through. So I love the fact that that's in there, but you're right there. I mean, there are people that just, they're, they lo- they want to go see a Michael Bay movie where there's just explosions everywhere, and it's just nonstop action, and then when it's over, they're happy.
1: Well, I mean, it it takes all, ti- all kinds in the reading world, and... Uh... I'm glad to appeal to the people who want both, but I understand there are the other the people who like the other side, and I try and make it pretty clear that if you want nonstop action, you're probably not going to like my books as well as somebody else's.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, before we jump in to kind of talk about Endgame and that, what made you decide to jump into the world of writing? Because you've definitely been there quite a while. What was it that sparked whatever it was that made you say, I want to be a writer, and then just start writing the way you have.
1: Actually, that's a rather different subject in the sense I never started out to be a science fiction writer. I honestly didn't. I was trained as a classical poet. I wrote poetry for almost 15 years before I ever looked at writing science fiction. Now, that didn't mean I haven't read science fiction since I was probably... 10 or 11 years old, but I just never thought about writing it. And I was in my late 20s, and somebody basically said to me, you know, you're not going to get any further than you've gotten with your poetry. And that was the small literary magazines. And they said, you know a lot about science fiction. Why don't you write some science fiction? And I thought, well, I could try it. So I wrote a story, and not knowing any better, I sent it off to, at that time, one of the biggest magazines in the field, which was Analog. And predictably, I got a rejection letter. But it was better than the average rejection letter because Ben Bovo wrote me back and said, This isn't a half-bad story. If you can fix the mess you made out of page 13, I'd like to see it again. I did. He bought it. I thought, Hey, I'm a writer. And No. <laughs> Um, I think I wrote twenty-five or twenty-six stories, maybe twenty-seven, before I sold him another one. And this went on for about six, seven years. At which point he sent me another rejection letter which said, and this is pretty much verbatim, please don't send me any more stories. I won't buy them. And after I swallowed at those sentences, I read the next paragraph, which said, You're pretty clearly a novelist, trying to cram novels into short stories. Go write a novel. Then we'll talk about the short stories. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, And since Analog bought all but one of the stories I published in those years, I figured I think I maybe had better try a novel. Now, I didn't want to at that particular point because I was working a -a 60-hour-a-week job in Washington, D.C., and the thought of writing should we say, at that time I was selling one in four or one in five stories, the thought of writing five novels to sell one was pretty overwhelming. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll at least try it. And I did. But when I finished the book and I thought I might sell it, send it to Ben and have him serialize it, I couldn't do that because he was no longer editor of Analog. Stan Schmidt had taken over. And Stan wasn't particularly interested in it. So I started literally sending it over the transom, which you could do back in those days. And I got rejected by pretty much every major publisher um, in the field. And then I heard about this new startup outfit called Timescape, which was an offshoot of Simon & Schuster. And I sent the manuscript to – actually, there's a short stop before that. The last major editor I sent it to was Jim Bain, who was the head of Ace Books. And he kept the manuscript for over a year, and every month he'd send me a note saying, it's really good, I want to publish it. After a year, he sent it back with the note that this is really good, somebody will publish it. I've been telling myself I would publish it, I can't, it's not my kind of book. So with that in mind, I sent it to, the, to David Hartwell at Timescape, which was the last place I could think of with the major publishers, and Jim was right. David bought it for Timescape, and uh, they published it. Of course, three months after they published it, Simon and Schuster folded the Timescape line. And all of a sudden, I needed a publisher again. Well, I'd been rejected by a whole lot. I didn't know where to go. But David said, well, I used to work with John Douglas. He's over at Avon. Why don't you send him the next book? And uh, I did. And John bought it. The advance was half of what Timescape paid, but at least they bought it. And right after it was published, Hearst, which owned Avon, said, Oh, we're not going to take any more submissions for at least three years, maybe five years. (laughs) So once again, I was looking for a publisher. And then David Hartwell came up and said, Oh, I'm with this startup outfit We can't pay you very much, but we'd love to have the third book, whatever it is. Well, they could pay half of what Avon paid, which was half of what Timescape paid, but nobody else was buying. So I sold it to this little startup outfit. Best startup outfit I ever got in in with, because that startup was Tor. Wow. And I have been with Tor ever since. Yeah. So that... That's the long story of how I got into writing science fiction. That is.
0: That is definitely a journey. I mean, to go, to have them buy it, and then them go, and then just the the amazing journey you've gone through. And I mean, Tor is huge now, so that yeah, that was a, an excellent opportunity to get in there. But that's so crazy to hear Tor
2: as referred to as a startup, startup company. Yeah. That's that that's just crazy to me.
0: Yeah but i mean that i i have to say i'm glad you stuck to it because the, i mean your stories are amazing uh i know several other writers and stuff like that that just uh love your stuff and i know they they've read it uh growing up and stuff like that so wow i i, I never knew that it took all of that to get to where you're at now uh,
1: yeah it, it, it was an interesting Interesting
0: journey along the way. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I I know there's rejection letters that people get when they're writers and they send them in. They're like, yeah, I went through the the gauntlet of of rejections, and then finally they bought my book, and it's awesome. But this is like a completely different gauntlet <laughs> uh, altogether. Uh, and And the rejection letters you got in the beginning, I mean, even those were positive they were, it's like, yeah, not really, but hey, if you fix this, it's golden. um, I don't know
1: well that was the best rejection letter, yeah, uh, the novels um I have to say that I've been turned down on the novel front by most men i won't say most, but many of the major editors in science fiction yeah. they're probably. There are probably only a handful of editors today who actually like what I write. There are a lot who would buy it, yeah. but as, as far as liking it, um, I guess as far as editors go, I'm a little bit of an acquired taste. Okay. As far as readers go, however, um, that's a very different case. And um, I think it's one thing that I'd say to beginning novelists you only need one editor. Who really likes what you're doing. But you've got to find one of them at least.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. Because, I mean, they're kind of the gatekeepers into the, the publishing world. You know, you could have tons of readers that love you, but, uh, you know, unless you're self-publishing, to get through traditional publishing, you have to have that editor.
2: Well, you need an editor even if you're self-publishing. You need someone but just to double-check to make sure... Cause I mean, weren't you telling me the other day, Dan? Like, there are sometimes with certain characters, you're like, were they blonde? Did they did they have curly hair? I know I mentioned this, but then you have to go back. You do so many revisions. I mean,
1: well, I don't. I have a reputation among editors that I turn in a fairly clean book. Okay, I can o- I can only think of about. And I'm not going to tell you which one, but I can only think of about three books out of the seventy-six that I have had published where I had to go back and make fairly major revisions, and they were deserved at that particular point. And each time I learned something about the craft of writing and something that I had skipped or not learned well enough in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But thank good, thank goodness, it was only three.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure. You working uh, with poems and stuff like that really helped uh, kind of advance your way into having really clean books. Uh, and, and I know some people that's kind of a gift that they can do that. There's other people that struggle with those things. Um, you know, I know when I wrote early on that I I had when it came to like proofreading, I would just like overlook things. So the fact that you put in really clean books and you have 76 and only three of those, that, that – those are great odds.
1: <laughs> well, those are – I mean those were published. It just took a, few, took a little bit of extra work with yeah. it. Now, I probably want to make something else fairly clear though because first of which is I didn't write my first science fiction story until I was 29. Um, but second, every job I had – and I worked full-time from the time – I got out of college at age 21, every job I had, interestingly enough, I ended up doing a lot of writing in. Even when I was a Navy pilot, I was the administrative office. Okay. Sir, uh, When I got involved in politics, my job was to write speeches, papers, uh, to analysis, um, so all along I had a lot of writing. Uh, and even when i was working as a when i was working as a consultant in washington dc after i was published i still learned a lot about writing from writing in the consulting field so you can learn a lot not just in writing science fiction and fantasy but in the whole field of writing
0: no uh, that's really cool um, you've had all that experience prior to that i definitely I I would assume it has helped quite a bit. Uh I mean I don't know. I I mean I've seen like bill papers like bills and other technical manuals and stuff like that. So I mean those have to be very very concise and precise. So uh having that training before starting writing definitely I would say aided in your uh being able to have clean books, which is amazing. Um, something I wish I could do.
1: Yeah. Well, I write probably cleaner now than I did at the beginning. I'm not so sure I'd like to go back and look at one of my early manuscripts really closely. Yeah, and
0: that's the joy, though, of, of as you continue to write, you know, you, you, like you said, you progress, you become better. I'm sure... Uh, there are some things that if you look back in those first books, you would like, oh man, I'd do that differently, but...
1: Uh, well, well, you, you do. I mean, I tried an experiment in the first recluse books, and it was an awful experiment. And that was, the thought that it came to my mind was, people, you get a sentence like, the door creaked, or the wind blew, or whatever, mm-hmm. and I... And I just thought, well, why don't you just throw in side effects like creak or whoosh. I put those in the first Recluse book. The reader reaction was, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and I occasionally still get um, comments from people who picked up my books recently and says, well, that first book, those sound effects were awful, but he got better as he went along. So... <laughs>
0: Well hey, you tried something new, it didn't work. You you did something else. I mean that's kind of how life is. You try something, yep. if it doesn't work, you do something else. At least you made the attempt to
2: try something new, something innovative, something that like even me writing, if I would have thought to do that, like even thinking about it now, I'm I'm thinking that's a great idea. That's what they do in movie scripts and people love it. But at least you made that that attempt and it's good to know that people hate it. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's, from a writing point of view, yes, it's very good to know that this is not something I should continue to do,
0: so, and I didn't. So for all those out there that are aspiring authors, don't do sound effects. It's been done. didn't work. Do something else.
1: Accepted <laughs> comic books.
0: Accepted comic, comic books. books. Yes, comic books I can live.
2: And in that case, it has to be blam, whack, and woof. Or kapow. Kapow, you need a good kapow every now and then. Yeah.
0: So let's kind of move into end games. Uh, It's the final book. I mean, this has to be exciting that you're wrapping up this giant uh, symphony that you've been writing over the last 10 years, coming down to the final stretch with this last book. What, you know, is there something you can kind of say that's happening without giving away too much? And what does it feel like to kind of be bringing this to an end?
1: I thought a lot about this uh, when my editor got a look at the uh, the book, and she asked me, is this the last book in the series? And at that time, I said, I don't know. I need to think about this. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, there are some things like the Recluse series. Recluse series is not, shall we say, a wrapped plot the way in a lot of ways Imager uh, Portfolio is. Reckless is a fictional history of a world over, over 2,000 years. And I write pieces of that history as, I, as we go along, although I have the overall history sketched out. And you can do that. But with end games, there is really a cycle involved in all 12 books. And I don't want to give away what that cycle is, but you can see when you read all 12, the cycle of this history um, even though the the last book chronologically occurs in the middle, it is a cycle.
2: And that was my next question, is where exactly does this take place uh, in line with the other books? Because I know you wrote the original three, and you went back, you did the prequels. Um, and so I was I interested...
1: Think, well, okay. The world's called Terranar. It's a world very similar to ours in terms of people, but the geography is slightly different. And um, it's technology with magic, the magic being imaging. People can visualize, certain people can visualize something into existence, but it takes a terrible toll on you if you don't know what you're doing. And untrained imagers never live to adulthood. Um, consequently, there is, in the first, the first three books, which are the latest historically, And this is something, I unfortunately, have a tendency to do, which is to write the last things in a cycle first and then fill it in. (laughs) But in those books, you have basically a world that's pretty close to Victorian in terms of technology. It's French in feel. And uh, there isn't any electricity, but there's a fairly advanced amount of steam power. Um, And that's the first three books. Then the next five books go back 700 years and detail the founding of this continent nation. And the last four books are two sets of two, and they show the transition from, shall we say, you might call it an analog to the Renaissance-slash-Industrial Revolution. And those middle four books show that transition the nation
0: that you've got in
1: the beginning. Mm. Well, I
0: I like that because we already know, and now we're just getting all the back history. Um, I, you know, there's been several times where I picked up a book and I'm like, oh man, this is great. Oh, I wish I knew all the history, and then I find out there's all these books that were written before. So it's it, you kind of have that feel of like, oh, I found, this, I discovered this great book. Now I got to go back and read all these other things. So. And now we have that history, that transition up to those, those first three books. Um, th- some people, that may annoy them, but I really like that concept.
2: No, I love that concept. I love stuff like that.
1: Well, I mean, I've, I've always been a history nut. Um, loved history all the way along. I didn't major in it, but I probably read enough to have majored in it. Um, and even when I'm writing my science fiction... Or even standalones, I can't really write the book without having an idea of the cultural history behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I obviously don't put in as much backstory if I'm writing a standalone, but it's still there in my mind.
0: Yeah, I, I, I believe you would need that to be able to reference small things here and there. Without that history, well, it's kind of pointless.
1: Well, not necessarily. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed there are some authors who've read books and books that I've liked, and I, I've i finished them, and I think, this all holds together very well, but there's this nagging thought, and the nagging thought is in those kinds of books, but I can't figure out historically how this culture could ever have evolved. Mm-hmm. And I try and make sure that a reader of one of my books doesn't get that thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's a really good valid point and a good thought. It's like... You know, why? Uh, let's use Planet of the Apes as an example without seeing the the other movies. It's like, okay, well, how did these monkeys become super intelligent and take over the world? You know, then, then we got the movies to explain it. But at first, you're kind of like, okay, this is a good Where, story, but how well, did happen?
1: You under- if you understand evolution, though, with the Planet of the Apes at least... You've got a glimpse glimpse of an idea I've yeah. seen some book books where no matter what I did, I can't figure out how they got there.
0: Gotcha That would be difficult. That definitely would be difficult so wow, no I mean, this is exciting. The final book is out uh the final piece to the puzzle, so to say, mm-hmm. uh for the imager portfolio um i I'm super excited. Uh for those of you that are huge fans of this series already, it comes out uh on Tuesday, uh the fifth of February, which is awesome. Uh that means for most of you that are listening, you can run out and quickly buy this like almost immediately.
2: Right now, yeah. It's yeah. available right now.
0: So uh uh there I'm sure like most books it's available in physical uh form, ebook and audiobook.
1: Absolutely, all three.
0: So so for those of you that like to read while on the go, um as Daniel looks at me, I'm a I'm an avid audiobook listener. Then uh that's perfect for you. For those of you that hate carrying lugging around a bunch of books but like them on your tablet or your phone, that's perfect as well or those of you that just love flipping pages like I do. I love how there is this broad spectrum of how you can read books now. You know, whether it's audio, whether it's ebooks or even physical books. Everyone can enjoy uh, the stories within the pages of, uh, of these books.
1: I think it's a great ad- great development.
0: So, uh, I mean, it's, it is amazing that this is coming to an end. What is next? Is there anything next, or are you going to take a break and a breather before jumping into something new?
1: Oh, there's plenty next. Um, the next recluse book called The Magefire War... Will be out in August. It's I think August thirteenth. Um, I'm working on another recluse book, but since I haven't finished it, I won't. Ha- I don't have a date to when it's published. And then I have a standalone science fiction book, which is a far future science fantasy called Quantum Shadows, uh, which is scheduled for release in June of two thousand twenty. Wow. Uh,
0: I, I I I'm just sitting here stunned because we know you have 79 books and you just listed out three more. That's that's impressive uh, and amazing all at the same time. To be able to put out that many books and still have tons of ideas, uh, yeah.
2: You're you're a real inspiration to all the junior writers out there who are trying to get you know books number one or books number two out. You know.
0: Yes. I missed that. Oh no problem. Uh, Scott was just saying that you're uh, you're an inspiration to those individuals out there, you know, that, that are trying to get book one or book two out. Uh, I mean, the fact that you have written seventy nine novels, you have had the amazing journey you did just to get those not, those cup, first couple ones published and out there into the world, and then you know you've had your fill of rejection letters, and yet you're still writing and still you know plugging along.
1: Well. you... You've added together a little bit wrong. I've only written 76. Okay. I'm, work- I'm working on 77, but maybe I'll get to 79 the next year or so.
0: Okay, I apologize. I did the math wrong, but still, even 76 is vastly impressive. Yeah. So... Well, Go ahead.
1: And they're not exactly short books, most of them.
0: No, they're no. not. And that, that's, that's the... What is impressive? I mean, even these paperbacks we have, um, you know, the, the Recluse 1, 2, and 3, uh, the Saga of the Recluse. These are good, almost five, well, no, this one is over 500 pages. Um, that's a pretty lengthy manuscript. I mean, what, we're looking at 140,000, maybe 150,000 words?
1: Uh, those, Recluse is one of the shorter ones, actually. Okay. It's, it's about one hundred and forty-five thousand words. Uh, the longest Reckless book, so far at least, was the Magic Engineer, which was two hundred and fifty thousand words. Most of them run between one hundred and eighty and two hundred and twenty thousand.
0: Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, that's a lot of words. Um, yeah, the, I am just gonna sit here in awe. <laughs> Because that, yeah, I, I know, I, I've, I've written the manuscript, uh, mine was like 100, almost 140,000, um, but to be up in the 200s, that's just amazing, and that's definitely not a small novel, and to be able to put out as many as you have, wow.
1: Well, but I, ha- I have to say, given, again, going to the beginning writer, the first three or four books, actually about the first six or seven books I read, were all in the 90,000 word range. I didn't get over 100,000 words until I wrote my 7th book. Okay. Well, and for beginning writers, I basically say for fantasies, it's probably good to stay in the 110 to 120,000 word range if you're beginning. And if you're writing science fiction, I'd really try and stay a 100,000.
0: Okay.
1: It make it makes it easier to sell. Yeah. Now if you've got a bigger book, don't cut it just because of what I said but it'll be a little bit harder to sell.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great advice. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you because you not only have you told us why you, you got into writing, how you did, and about the books, but you've also sprinkled a little bit of knowledge and some advice throughout uh, the interview. So thank you so much. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Now, real quickly, so we can wrap things up and let you go about the rest of your day... Where can our listeners that may have not have heard of you or now are excited to read some of your books find you? Um, Is there a website, social media, and uh, where can they find your books?
1: Uh, I do have a website. It's www.lemodisit, just my writing name without any periods. Okay. I'm sorry, it's... Ellie I think it's junior. I've forgotten. At, yeah, yeah. At – L.E. Junior at, uh, e. at
0: com. Yeah,
1: we just yeah. pulled it up. L.E. Junior dot com. That's it. Okay. And it's got all the books on it, uh, and I do blogs two to three times a week, not necessarily on science fiction, sometimes on politics. Having spent 20 years in national politics, I do tend to uh, vent political views upon occasion. <laughs>
0: You know, I know several other authors that do the same thing, so there's nothing wrong with that.
1: But anyway, I don't do um, social media like Facebook and Instagram, um, but there is also a forum which you can find by going to the website, which I'll answer questions, that sort of thing. I'll also answer questions if you post them to the website.
0: Nice. No, I I think that's great. Um, more and more that I see with social media, it seems to not be working the way it was originally intended. I, you know, I jump on social media and I see more ads than I see of actual relationship conversations going.
2: It feels more like anti-social media at this point. So, yeah.
0: so the fact that you're kind of focusing everyone to your website and you have you know, your books there, you're, they're able to converse with you and you answer, uh, that in my mind is probably the best form of social media possible.
1: Well, I think so, and I, but then again, it suits who I am. Um, I'm unfortunately, as the length of the book shows, not necessarily a short answer person.
0: <laughs> you know, and that's that's okay. Um, so you know, like I love long-winded answers uh, because it, not only does it give me the answer, but it also gives me kind of a a window into the person answering it because it it is always amazing how people will answer things when I go to conventions, uh, even when I've gone to LTUE and people say, well, what about such and such? And they ask a simple question and then someone gives you this really long answer. There's like there's like this treasure trove that you just received uh, when you only meant to have one small thing answered. So I always love long answers.
1: Well, I'm going to throw one other thing in there. You mentioned LTUE. I... I will be there this next week or two weeks from now.
0: Awesome. So for those of you in the Utah area, um, especially Provo, Salt Lake, and that, or if you don't mind a drive, um, definitely check out LTUE. Um, If you're definitely an inspiring writer, great place to be. Uh, Tons of great panels where you have other authors like uh, Lee uh, talking about writing and other things that they're passionate about. and uh, Great opportunity.
1: I think it's a really good convention for an aspiring writer. That's, I've been to many conventions over the last 40 years, and I think that's it's one of the best for an aspiring writer.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I've, I've gone for the last seven years, and it's what got me uh, – uh, to where I think I learned a lot about writing, uh, sitting in those panels and listening to individuals like you and various other authors uh, because – everyone is so willing to share their knowledge and experience uh, which is just you don't find that in other type of fields that I've found where people like to share they, more often or not I've kind of found they like to covet and kind of keep their secrets close to their chest
1: well it, I just think it's a good convention Yeah, and it's very friendly
0: yes I agree so again Check out Lee, Uh You can follow him there, have any questions answered, uh, pick up any copies of his book because they're all there. And uh, I mean, but again, thank you for your time tonight and for coming on the show. And please, if you haven't picked up a book, go do so because they're amazing and such an enjoyable ride, whether you're an action junkie or you just love subtle hidden things that you'll pick up one or two times later. So with that said, folks, we're out of here.